Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. This is Talking Tourism and I'm today's host, Sam Denmead. Every fortnight, the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania brings you conversations with the brightest minds in the tourism industry. TICT is the peak body for tourism operators in the beautiful state of Tasmania. Each episode of Talking Tourism will deal with a specific tourism-related topic with tips and advice for improving your tourism business and getting ahead in the visitor economy. Now, if you're listening to this outside of Tasmania, welcome. Thanks for joining us. The content of these podcasts is not just focused on Tassie, so we will be talking about stuff that's relevant for your business wherever you are. And today I'm talking with Karen Fraser. And Karen's a consultant in the tourism industry, particularly consulting in the area of international marketing. And today we're going to be talking about attracting international visitors. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Sam. Great to be here. Thank Thanks for you. coming. Uh, Karen, I've known you for a very long time, but I'm not going to talk about you. I want you to talk about you. Can you tell everybody how you got to be so conversant with international visitors? Sure. I've been in the industry about oh, 38 years now. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, but anyway, with the international markets, I worked in Sydney for a number of years in the late 80s and early 90s as an inbound tour operator. So I became very familiar with the various markets that the company I worked for was targeting, as well as the um, tourism industry across Australia and the type of product they're looking for. Um, Following that, I moved to Tasmania and worked for Tasmania's Temptations Holidays as the product development and marketing manager. And then I think it was in about 1997, I became the international marketing manager for Tourism Taz and worked there at Tourism Taz for about 18 years and about 14 of them doing the international marketing. Wow. So yes, so I'm all. old. <laughs> no, that wasn't where I was going. I was going to say that you've been and done everything. Well, I know it from, you know, various sides and I've lived in both Europe and America, so I understand yep. those markets And you've done a lot of well. travelling, a lot of tour guiding. You've seen it all from different angles. Yes, I have. Which yes. really is a, it's great to give you so much experience because you can share that with all the tourism operators out there. Yeah, and I'm more than happy to. So thank you for having That's me here right. today. I've heard you talk about international marketing a lot once when I was an actual tour operator and then as I was a consultant as well as we do our presentations around the industry. Yes, that's right. I've had the opportunity of doing some workshops with the TICT to uh, the operators on how to get into the international market, especially from the trade perspective. So when you say the trade perspective, you mean when tourism operators work with those people who sell travel. That's correct, Sam. So, so and that you're talking about um, people who live in who are based in other countries and sell to those people who live in other countries to come to Tasmania. Yes, as well as the the in betweeners, which are the wholesalers and the inbound tour operators. So we can get more into that as we go along. Exactly, I guess. we'll talk yeah. about that. And one thing we'll also talk about, which you would have seen a lot of in terms of starting from nothing and now where it is now with the OTAs. Yes, that's correct. So um, online travel agents are now yes. huge. Huge and we need to deal with them. Yep. Um, they're not going away. They're yep. a big part of the industry and there are ways of working with them yep. as well as the traditional 
players in the industry. Because I remember when I started my business, online travel agents, gosh, we're talking about 2002, I don't think that really existed then at all. And I thought just learning about the trade you know, the traditional trade was hard enough. Now we've got a, and that hasn't gone away. No, it hasn't. And it's really, it is quite complex, but you can break it down into who, who's who in the zoo and who you need to work with. Okay, great. So today we're going to talk about, yes, I know a lot of businesses out there want to, want to attract the international visitor because they see it as a, another string to their bow when they talk about who their customers are, Mm -hmm. but we're going to talk about why you would want to do that and how you can do that and what you need to know to be able to work in that market because it's not simple. As you said, it's complex. It's, it is complex but there are some simple steps that you can take. Excellent. And it's also a matter of being consistent yes, there's a heap, and building heap relationships. Stuff to think about. Yeah, there so is. So before we talk about that, can we talk about what, I mean, some people may not even understand what the difference between a domestic visitor is and an international visitor? Yeah, sure. Well, obviously the domestic visitors, whilst they're travelling across the ocean or Bass Strait, <laughs> aren't coming as far as the international ones. But most importantly, I mean, they have a sense of familiarity about the destination. They are Australian. They have heard of Tasmania. Whereas <laughs> hopefully. In many, yeah, hopefully. Whereas in many countries... They haven't they, or they have a limited knowledge and sometimes that's based on fact and other times it's based on perception. Um, also in terms of marketing directly to um, the markets, obviously it's a lot easier and a loss, lot less expensive to market domestically. So there are higher marketing costs to consider when you're dealing with internationals. There are also more players involved in dealing with the international market. Um, We are finding more and more visitors domestically are are doing their own bookings um, using online. Um, So there's not as much engagement perhaps now with the domestic travel industry, although they still maintain an important sector in your work and the distribution system is more consistent. There's not not as much change in it. And, you know, as I said, you've got more consumers coming to you directly. Also, the itineraries are different. So when people Mm. are travelling to Tasmania from the domestic scene, you know, they tend to have um, shorter breaks. They, They fall into a couple of categories. I guess you've got the short break market that comes down specifically for events and festivals. You've also got... Um, those that are just taking the the weekend opportunity to travel, but you also have those that can come down and still do the donut. Mm. So, and that's very different with an international visitor who has a more complex itinerary. Very few people come to Tasmania before they've visited other parts yeah, of Australia. Yeah, they come to Tassie after they've been to Australia once before or twice. Generally, even, yeah. yeah. Though I, I have That's had changing, it, isn't it? It is changing. Um, I also run an accommodation and I've had experience with a few people out of the German market who have said to me, I've just always wanted to come tas- to Tasmania. So, you know, suddenly they're arriving Um, you know, maybe a couple of days in Sydney or Melbourne and then straight into Tassie and that's their major experience of Australia. Fantastic for us. Yep, yep. Um, The distribution system is very different in each international market as well, so we can talk a little bit about that um, further in. And we also have the obvious, like, if they're domestic visitors, there's no cultural and no language barriers. Mm. And the market is fairly easy to enter 
and you get a more immediate return on investment as opposed in the international markets where you have the complexities of language and culture, but also it takes a longer time to get a return yeah, on the investment you you put in. And on average, I, I normally say that's around two to three yeah. years. Minimum. Minimum mm. before you will see a return. Yeah, definitely. But... Yes. You know, why would you go then into the international market? Um, I think it helps address the balance of trade because we know so many Australians are still going overseas for their holidays. So it does help level out the peaks and the troughs. The international visitors are not necessarily um, focused on weekends or the Australian school holiday period. So it helps make that peak season a little less hopefully. So you're saying that a lot of the domestic travellers fill up their weekends coming and that helps so if you're targeting internationals it's it's highly likely that they will be using the weekday. That's right and I mean they have a shorter holiday period than what Australians do have so it's more concentrated as well. They tend to come for a longer period to the state um, and they and it's less seasonal. And they tend to move around more, don't they? Yeah, they don't they stay do. in one spot like Australian or domestic travellers do. Yes, that's true. They tend to spend 15 to 17 nights on average in the state and they also explore the regions more than, say, the domestic market has been doing. I think with the domestic market they tend to do the regions after they've been to the bigger centres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've found with visitors to my place. They come in, they do Hobart and Launceston maybe, um, and then they'll come they'll back. Come back another time. T- another time. Whereas internationals, you've only got them a once, short potentially window. twice. Yeah. So they want to try and do everything in that period, so they're more rushed as well. Yeah. So they <laughs> in want to fit some everything ways. in. And depended on the market too. Some markets operate on a, a slower travel style. Yes. Europeans tend to be a little bit slower. North Americans a little bit the same. But the Asian markets really like to cover off as much as they yeah. can in the shortest possible amount of time. And don't mind driving for hours. No. Into the the night, getting up early. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just their normal speed of life. So, okay, so what other reasons would I want to tap into the international market? I know Um, that, well, they represent 35% of of visitors to Australia, don't they? Yes, they do. Not quite that much in Tassie. And not quite that much. It's around, at the moment, it's around 22, 23%. So it's still a good, viable part of the market. And it just gives you the opportunity to to meet a range of people and, and sell the benefits of why you know, we live and work in this industry in this state because what we often take for granted is so exciting and so new and so different yeah, to the international market. Yeah, you can learn a lot from market. them as well as they learn from you. Most definitely, most definitely. So um, just to give you a little bit of idea of what the numbers are are at at the moment. So, you know, the total visitors to Tassie um, as at the end of September this year was... 2019? Yeah, 2019. That's this year. Let's keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Not much longer. Yeah. So it's around 1.32 million total visitors to the state. Of that, um, we're looking at 300,000 as of the end of June 2019. So it's kind of on par with last year, a little bit of a dip, but then that may be made up by the end of December anyway. So averaging not too bad. As I said earlier, the average stay is about 16 nights, anywhere between 15 and 17. But importantly, the visitor expenditure to, to from international is, you know, $549 million, which is 
not too shabby and when you when you consider yep uh, consider that and what about those international visitors who tack a little Tasmania trip onto the you know they're North Americans they've got two weeks and yep. they come and do Sydney Melbourne and then down to Tassie for three days they tend to be more high-end travellers, which yep. is, is great. They're um, not afraid to spend money and they're quite adventurous. So even if they choose to stay in not the five, six-star accommodation, although many of them do, they'll spend a lot of money on the experience because mm-hmm. they want to have the best possible trip they can have. Right. So what sort of experiences, what sort of product okay. do you think the, you know, if I run a, a tour company or an accommodation, what sort of business would I need to be to tap into the international okay. market? Okay. The international market has obviously heard of a number of um, Tasmania's exports, so they're interested in the food and the wine. They're also interested in the natural environment, so anything that involves maybe some walking, some getting out into nature, um, utilising our natural assets, exploring the world heritage areas, Anything that combine the natural environment and food and wine is also a good one to do and soft adventure. Cool. Yeah. And so what other what other things do I need to consider about my business, whether I've you know, whether I tick all the boxes to know whether I'm suitable to tap into the yeah, international market? Sure. Well, there's a few things that you need to sort of consider first. So, you know, the main thing is, you know, are you already a successful tour operator? Are you working in the domestic market? How well do you know your product? Are you really confident with what your unique selling um, points are? Have you done an assessment of your product um, against your competition? Do you know who your competition is? Do you know who you could work complementary too because I think with the international market it's really important to consider where you fit in. Are you a unique accommodation provider in one of Tasmania's top destinations or can you work as a tour operator to um, with other operators such as whether they're complementary tourism experiences or accommodation? Can you bundle and package up your experience with them. That can be a real benefit. Um, what's your, what booking systems do you have? Are you registered on the Australian Tourism Data Warehouse, which is operated through Tourism Tasmania and it's a free opportunity to list your product? That's, that's very key to do. Have you researched your international markets? Tourism Australia website is a great place to look and get fantastic information, but we can talk about that um, a bit further in. Can you identify the different travel styles of the international markets? You know, less mature markets tend to travel in groups. The more mature markets, people who are comfortable with international travel tend to be FIT or fully independent travellers. Where do you sit in communicating with those operators? So there's something else that um, you should consider. Do you understand the travel distribution system? If you're working domestically, you're probably well aware of the wholesalers and the retail travel agents, but when you go to an international marketing perspective, you need to consider who the international wholesalers are, who they work with as the inbound tour operators, how you get involved with the retail sector internationally. So, you know, it's it's more of a complex thing to look at. But if you're doing well in the domestic setup, set up, 
you're probably, you know, ready to go into international. Um, can you um, say that you've got collateral that is suitable for the international market? Have you considered your brochures, mm-hmm. your imagery, um, the way you describe your product? Do you work with the local tourism operators in your area? Are you a member of the uh, your regional tourism association? Are you a member of the TICT? Have you got the accreditation tick? And how well are, uh, do you know Tourism Taz? I mean, they've got a huge resource available to you with their international team. Um and also an organisation called ATEC, which is the Australian Tourism Export Council, and their focus is a membership-based organisation focused on the international markets. Because quite often we refer to um, international visitors as being part of the inbound market, but it's actually an export yeah, product. Yeah, can you explain that a bit more? Because that's a bit confusing for some people. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's really interesting. Um, tourism... Inbound visitors to Australia make up a huge um, percentage of tes- of Australia's export to other countries. We're exporting our experiences and people are buying those experiences that are international visitors. I think it's about the second biggest industry in Australia. I think you're right, actually. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. And I think the other thing I was uh, – I, I think might be important is um, – they're, the difference is it's an export because they're paying for it in foreign money. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So whilst the dollar um, is low, chances are that will benefit some of the markets. I think traditionally the Americans have been more aware of what their dollar buys um, internationally than perhaps some of the other markets. But, yeah, it, it's really an important aspect so um, what you're saying us. is when the Australian dollar is low, that's good for inbound tourism. So exactly. people from overseas, can their dollar goes further. Or that's right. Euro or their Therefore, whatever. they're spending more money in our yep. state. Which so when the Australian dollar is high, that means that's a bit of a barrier for overseas travellers. It can be travelers. a barrier for overseas travellers. But travelers. it's good for domestic. But it's good for so it's domestic. it's really important for tourism operators to understand how the Australian dollar can affect Can travel. influence yep. things. And that's part and parcel about why you might look at um, working in the international market, it's because the the swings and roundabouts exactly. and where the Australians, you know, may be travelling overseas, which they tend to do anyway. I don't think too many Australians are really affected by the value of the dollar. I mean, financially, yes, they are, but emotionally, they're not. Yeah. Whereas um, when the dollar is low, it does tend to make Australia a more attractive proposition yeah. for international markets. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So it swings and roundabouts in that regard. Okay. So can we talk about distribution of selling our experiences? Yes. And distribution channels. There's all these terms that we use in tourism and certainly internationally there's a whole lot of terms. That's right. And so, so do you want a real sum off? What's an, uh, start with the top one, which is an ITO. Everyone talks about right. ITOs. An inbound tour operator. So the inbound tour operator is basically the middle person between the supplier, so that's the operators, the tourism operators we're talking to hopefully yep, now. Yep, are all listening now. <laughs> that's right. And also so they work on behalf of the operators and they liaise with the international wholesalers and 
um, sellers of travel to Australia. Okay, so it took me, I have to admit, it took me quite a while to get my head around this when I first started yeah. working in the international market. So I get it if people are listening going, I didn't understand that. So just again, it. so an ITO, inbound to operator, based yep. in Australia. Based in Australia. Speak our language, understand us, yes, understand the country. That's right. And their job is to? Is to contract with international wholesalers, so the people that are packaging up Australia and then sell it to their retail travel agent distribution network in the market that they're in operating. The country. So in the for, country. So, for instance, Germany. Yeah, in Germany. So you, Asia. Or Asia or North America. Mm. So you generally deal with the internet, with the ITO who acts as the representative for the wholesaler who then contracts out to the retail travel agent in market. And so can you explain why the ITO is so important? Yeah, because they understand the requirements of the markets that they're working in. So they know what sort of experiences they're looking for. They also um, have a base of product that they can offer and they contract. So they develop relationships with the wholesalers. Yep. And that's really crucial. And our operators might have heard of ATE or the Australian Tourism Exchange, which is the largest trade show that happens in Australia. And that's coordinated by Tourism Australia and all of the states and territories tourism bodies. And that's the opportunity where the international wholesalers come to Australia looking for either building the relationships that they have with operators that they're working with or looking for new product. Quite often, the inbound tour operators will also attend ATE and that's the opportunity for um, new newbies in the industry, if you've got a good relationship with an inbound tour operator, you have the opportunity of them representing you, for, for example, at ATE, but also when they do their sales missions and attend other international trade shows. So while the ITO has a whole bunch of suppliers, so mm -hmm. if I ran a tourism, tourism business, I would be one of those many, many that they've got. Mm -hmm. there's still a massive benefit to me to have them contract me because they have relationships that I don't. That's correct. And, and it's it, so costly. I can't just go and travel to, to America or New Zealand or anywhere and go and talk to whoever I want. No. At the, you know, anytime I want. It, it would be stupid and costly and exactly. completely inefficient. And, th and that's why, you know, it's good to have a great relationship with the ITOs that you work with. Keep them updated on your product, what's happening. There's also a specific timing that all the contracting happens, which is slightly different to domestic. It's not a calendar year. So the ITOs contract from the 1st of April through to the end of March each year. That, that also is weird. How, it, how does that happen? I'm not sure exactly how it started happening. <laughs> it's been going for years. So <laughs> but it, it has like been going yeah. for years. So I don't think there's any any changes there. But that can be tricky though because, you know, we, we often price our products and plan our products for our own seasons. Yeah. So when you're dealing with the international market, you've got to consider when you're getting your product, um, you know, fact sheets together or information sheets that you give them the information that they want, not the what, way you want to present it, but precisely. the way they need it presented. Exactly. But you know what? There's a heap of resources available to help you through this mire of how to work yeah. with the international market. And I must say the Tourism Australia website has 
just been updated. I think you had a look at it earlier, you said as well. And it's a very easy to use site for when you're wanting to, you know, get to know more about international marketing. So, you know, I would make www.tourism.australia.com a favourite. I'd bookmark that on my And also, if you forget that, um, if you happen to forget those that website you can also google uh tourism australia's export toolkit i think it's called yeah which is where it's a pretty good um pdf download as well so you can read about what we've just talked about later it's a huge resource and really um important for everyone to to take a look at it no matter whether you're experienced in the international market or not i think you can always learn something from it the other important thing is to think of the resources that tourism has provides for you as well and it's key to become a really good friend of yep. their international team because they're they're priceless in their knowledge yep. that they have and and how they can assist you. Exactly. And if you've got any questions, I would definitely say go to them first. Yeah, exactly. And certainly if you want to get started in this market, they have to be one of your first port, port of calls. Port of calls most, most definitely, exactly. So go back to, we start talking about the ITO, the wholesaler. wholesaler. Let's go back to the distribution channel. Yeah, more. okay. So that's the traditional distribution channel. You have an international wholesaler, you have an inbound operator who's your conduit to the international wholesaler. The international wholesaler works directly with the retail travel agents in their country. However, you know, since 2002, (laughs) when Sam started out, things things have changed. So we also have the, you know, now the online um, travel agents. And, you know, in the domestic market, you're probably already working with Airbnb, which has been the fastest growing um, distribution operator. You've got companies like um, TripAdvisor, which not only do they have the report or the review side of it, but they also carry product that people look to and you you can actually pay to be on a TripAdvisor site and distribute your product and experience that way. But you've got the likes of Expedia, which owns what if, um, you know. They own so many brands. They they do, and it's huge. Now, you've got Expedia, you've also got Booking.com, which is a major player. And in terms of tourism experiences, there's Viatour, which is now owned by TripAdvisor. Mm. All of those online travel organisations or agents have varying commission levels. Expedia, for example, they they want a 15% commission and um, bookings.com look for a 12% commission. So there's various ranges in there. The, the thing I haven't spoken about yet is about the commissions that you would pay to an inbound tour operator yep. and I guess we need to talk about Absolutely. that now. So generally an inbound tour operator is looking for a 25, maybe up to a 30% if they're one of the huge operators commission level. So you need to build that into your pricing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reason that you pay those commissions is because that operator is not only uh, doing your marketing for you, they're um, out there promoting for you all of the time, but they're carrying your product and offering a service which delivers the guest directly to you. Um, 
So it's well worth that. Some of them will ask you to participate in their brochures or their platforms and and pay advertising. But if you're starting off as a small operator with a limited budget, you can negotiate. And um, particularly if you're offering a good experiential product. One that they want. One they want. You know, test the waters and say, listen, you know, 25% is probably a little bit much for me at the moment. I'm new in the international market, but I know I've got the experience that your market is looking for. So try offering a little bit lower and maybe add an incentive and some targets onto it. So if they reach X amount of visitation or they reach X amount of dollars in what they've you know, sold for you, then you might look at um, increasing that. So, but it's about the key thing is to develop a really good relationship with these guys so that they understand you, you understand them, and they are loyal. They're extremely loyal once that you start working with them. Yeah, because they don't want to list you in their system and then, you know, you leave the year after. They want to keep that's you for right. ages. Yeah. And that's, well, actually, that's a really good point you've touched on there, Sam, is about being consistent in the marketplace. When you work in the international market, you put a lot of effort into it, a lot of your time. It's a long-term thing. And it's a long-term commitment. And that's the same in working with the inbound tour operator because, you know, they don't want any fly-by-nighters. They want to build the relationship because quite often you're talking you know, as we said earlier, two to three years before you'll see a return on investment. But also it's a longer lead-in time for people to purchase their international travel to Australia and and their experience. You can imagine an ITO meeting you as a tourism operator saying, yep, I like your product. Then they have to go back, load all the information. This is after they've been convinced you're a great product. Exactly. So there's a whole lot of work you've got to do there. Yes, then they've got to load it. Speaking from experience. (laughs) Well, then they've got to then share that with their wholesalers. So then the wholesalers have to share that with their retailers. So it all just takes so much time. Exactly. So you can't look at this as a fly-by-night short-term fix. This is a long-term commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And the difference is with the online travel agencies, that's exactly what they're doing. They're just loading your product on. They're not necessarily doing much marketing for you. It's like, you know, consumer will go and look at those sites, maybe tick and click. But um, I think the inbound market is still fairly traditional in how the product is sold. Yeah, exactly. And by working with them and having your product excluded in their catalogues, their inventory online, you get exposure in that international market. Yeah, definitely. So. I think one of the things for the new businesses out there is to just remember, don't take it personally, but they, they do like to see a few runs on the board before they list you because they don't want you to be a new business and then you go out of business in a year or two. So they want you to be Precisely. pretty established unless you're offering something amazing. And they're prepared to take a and risk. And they'll take that risk. Yeah. Because you can imagine it is risky for them to to go, you know, loading all this new product on and then half of it, you know, closes the year after. It's not yeah. good for them. It's not good for anybody. Actually, and it's not good for the destination if mm. that happens as well because people get a sense of, you know, all oh, the operators there are small and they're unreliable. So that's yeah, not the that's message right. that, you know, we need need to send out. So yep. be thoughtful about what you're doing and be consistent with what yep. you're doing. And whilst, you know, as we mentioned earlier, there's, um, you know, higher costs involved. If you 
plan your pricing and you have a plan for your whole business business. and a marketing plan, then it just fits in. So pricing, let's talk about pricing. Let's talk about pricing. (laughs) Okay. So So a lot of people out there don't like the word commission, don't feel that yeah, it's a deserved fee exactly. that gets included for the you know the trade. So if we had say a hotel room, let's just talk about hotel room, hundred dollars. Let's just say yeah. Uh, let's say you list it with an ITO and they want twenty five percent. That equates to twenty five dollars. So you Precisely. get seventy five dollars. So if that doesn't work for you, you need to reconsider your pricing. Exactly. And, you know, how do you reconsider your pricing? What, you know, some of the first steps in deciding on what your price points are is doing the research. So looking at what competitors may be doing in the marketplace, looking at what seems to be happening if you, you can easily go online and look at brochures of Australian product and see what's being offered in similar state in other states mm-hmm. and um, consider, you know, where the price points are for a similar experience that you may be offering. Um, you also need to be aware of the currency fluctuations And that's something that, you know, you need to kind of have some forethought about to make sure that you're covered in everything Mm -hmm. that you offer that's not going to impact you. And if that would bother you, you, like if that would really disrupt your business, maybe this isn't the right thing for you to do. So that can make a difference to your decision if you go into this market. Exactly. But then the benefits of working in the international market, I think we've spoken about, is that they also take longer to plan. So you have a bigger lead in yeah, time. Yeah, so you know your booking's way in advance. Exactly. So you can plan and, that. And, and that's great to know. Yep. So we'll talk about the commission levels and here's some indicative pricing okay. of those levels. So those of you who are working in the domestic market realise that you're paying 10 to 15% commission to the retail travel agents domestically and you pay between 15 to 25% to the wholesalers. That might be slightly more in some instances or if you've got a great product that they're wanting, sometimes slightly less. So for the inbound tour operators, you're going to be looking at around 20 to 30% commission. Um, My tip for new operators going into the international market and building a relationship with an inbound tour operator, be open and honest with them up front and, you know, explain that this is a foray for you into the international market. And so perhaps reaching a 30% commission is not viable at this point in time. So see if you can uh, negotiate a downward commission level. Perhaps if they put pressure on you to advertise in their catalogues and or on on their online, um, perhaps say that that's something that you would look at in a couple of years' time. So realistically, let's be honest here: is uh, is it more likely that you are going to get more bookings if you do pay for that advertising than if you don't? So if you if you stay system only. Um, you're you're less likely to get found than well, if you that, pay to be in a brochure. Anyway. Yeah, exactly, because their pro, their brochures are then sent to the wholesalers. The wholesalers are carrying the product, which they may brochure if you've paid the advertising dollars that goes out to the retail travel agent. So you actually get more awareness in the market. And that's something that's really difficult to do on your own. And obviously, if you 
do um, pay for advertising to an inbound operator slash wholesaler, then you could follow up with making sure that you've got the right SEO stuff on your website, that you've got images that complement the markets that it's going into. So you can be clever around doing it and try and optimise the value for yep, yourself. Definitely. Um, and then with the online travel agents, you're looking at, you know, from a, a 10, 12% upwards um, commission level. So as we know, Airbnb came in really cheap saying you only have to pay us 3%. However, you know, to get uh, a higher listing or viewing point on their site, you need to pay more commission. And, of course, Airbnb have now gone into experience as well. Mm. So that may be something to consider. I wouldn't look at it as standalone. I still think that's, you know, difficult in the international market to see yourself viewed there. Um, However, it wouldn't hurt to try it, but I would back that up with the traditional working traditional work through the inbound operators and their connections with the wholesalers and the retail agents. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, So the key thing is about getting your pricing right. So, you know, what do you need to do? Well, look at what your competitors are doing. Also the complementary products that you may have the opportunity to bundle up with and offer a bigger experience. You know, get to know your neighbours. That is really critical. And are you talking about a destination bundling? Like, yeah. Uh, so, Des- for instance, you've got accommodation. You might bundle with a restaurant or a, t- a day tour Precisely. or a hire car. Exactly. Like All of that sort of thing. So, and also similar, exp- well, experiential operators. So, you know, you may have a walking product that could connect with a crew, you know, a cruise, a well, let's look at what's happened with Pennycott's mm-hmm. and um, Three Capes Walk. So, you know, that's part that's been bundled up really nicely. That's a good experience. But you might look at bundling up um, with a walking tour that might have a bit of kayaking involved or a bit of bike riding involved. Yep. So it becomes either a total multi-day experience or even part of a whole day experience. But it's offer, offering something of value to the client who may not have as much time so to it's spend good for in that. It's, and it's also good for the agent because then you're doing their work for them essentially. Precisely. So it's like a one-stop sale, you know, one yeah. shop for one sale. Exactly. Perfect for the inbound tour operator if they've got one point of contact, everything's wrapped up and priced accordingly. Yeah. They can easily send that, sell that to a wholesaler and um, everyone's happy hopefully. Yep. So also, um, you know, have a do some research and have a look at what the target market is prepared to pay. What's pricing overseas? And again, I'll refer back to the Tourism Australia website for that. Yep. Great information there. Um, you need to consider the the pricing of the commission levels that you have to pay. Bring that into um, into play, and also what are the fixed costs and overheads? that you have to... Yeah, for your own business. For your own business. So you've got to be aware of that and also the seasonality of the product as well. So, um, you know, if you do that research and background, that really helps you in, um, you know, developing a pricing strategy that will work for you. 
So one of the things that people need to remember is that a commission is only paid if you get a sale. That's right. It's not, it's not a cost unless there's money coming in. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's a huge benefit and you've got to remember that they're, you're working with the people that are in the market able to sell your product, yep. which is something that, you know, most people would struggle to do on their own. So being a tour company as an ex-tour operator, I remember I would get international bookings well in advance. And if I had regular, sorry, or set departures, I could then try to fill up the departures that had those existing bookings. So they can be really good to help a business plan their their, their, their season. Their season. And the other key thing to know is the inbound market is working a couple of years in advance. So whilst we're looking at, we domestically are looking at 2020, you know, they're all looking already looking at 2021. Yeah, so that's true. it's going back to the fact that the the period that they that the pricing should be for is from the 1st of April through to the yep. 31st of March but they're already talking 2021 2022 so you got to be really careful there because you've got if you set prices say for instance you have a day tour that costs the the uh, the customer $200 and next and you want to give rates to the ITOs and the following year you want them to be $210 per person. Well, you've got to kind of stick with that. You can't go and drop it or up it. So price parity is extremely it's, important too. It is indeed. And they check your websites. Yeah. So they'll know. Um, if you if you find that you need to do some price adjustment for the domestic market, you can certainly put it up as a special. But what I would do is offer that onto the market as well so that uh, – you know, it it's might just come up as a special that they could do, but it's really difficult. Well, generally so. specials are reserved for domestic travellers because you, you're exactly. d- generally doing it because you've got some you're distressed filling inventory, a gap. filling a gap. Yeah. So do you need to alert the ITOs that you're going to drop prices for such a short lead time and you're not really telling the international market? Like how, how grey is this area? It's pretty grey. Yeah. And I think it's like when you have a relationship with a partner anyway, you should advise them. So if you're going to do a special, you know, through for say spring, just take that for example, and you know you're going to do that, you've decided that you're going to do that in autumn, then I would definitely advise them. So what you're saying then is if I've got a $100 hotel room and for spring I decide to offer it for $90, uh, I then have to contact my ITOs that I'm contracted with. There may be several of them. Send yeah. them an email saying I've dropped my prices, so it's now ninety, and I've still got to pay my twenty five percent on the ninety. And they've got to go and adjust it. They're going to get pretty annoyed with me, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's a relationship. So if they see the opportunity that they may be able to do some short term stuff for you and bring the visitors in, they'll want to know. So that, yeah, you can treat it as a, as a good deal for them as well. As a good deal yeah. for them. So not so, annoyance, but actually it, doing them a favour. That's right. Um, look, it, not everyone notifies the international markets. It's more like, you know, a courtesy, yeah. whether they're going to act on it or not. It's just that the opportunity could be that you will have international guests in who happen to go onto a website that see the pricing and then go back to them. And, you know, that it's pretty you know, it's pretty minimal and pretty unlikely that they will. But common courtesy is that yeah. you should just advise them. Then you're covered. If they choose to act on it, that's that's their decision. So I guess as a final 
wrap up, we've talked about pricing. Yep. So, um, you know, the key messages I think for operators to take away to get into the international market is number one, do your research. Can't stress that yep. highly enough. Um, look at the Tourism Australia website. I've banged on about that, but it's really important. Talk to um, operators that you know and that you work with um, get their opinions. Are they working in the international market? And then your first stop should be with Tourism Tasmania, who have a team of experts and are looking for new product to take to market as well. They do a huge amount of influencing the inbound tour operators, working with ATEC, working with Tourism Australia on the experiences that we have here. So they're your number one stop, I would say. And if you're not from Tasmania and you're an operator listening to this, be sure to contact your local state tourism organisation. They have a huge bank of resources as well. In fact, for Tasmanians, have a look on the other states' corporate sites as well. Wow. We've covered a fair bit today and, of course, we've never covered it all. So that's the (laughs) tip of the iceberg there. But I think that's given the listeners a really good understanding of how you can work in the international market and how attracting international visitors isn't as easy as it might appear, but there's plenty of resources out there. So talking to Tourism Taz is probably your first port of call if you're ready to get started. I think you're spot on there, Sam. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you today and, you know, good luck to the (laughs) operators who are, you know, wanting to dive into the international market. Honestly, I think it's very worthwhile and uh, once you understand it, then it's a matter of just following the processes. Excellent. Wise words there, Karen Fraser here. Thank you very much for coming in to chat to us on Talking Tourism Hope you, as the listener, got a lot out of that. And if you enjoyed today's show, please tell your tourism colleagues to take a listen. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a fortnight with another conversation on Talking Tourism. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.